Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Rachel Podnoser Leary. Rachel, are you ready to do this? Yes, I'm. I'm ready. Awesome. Let's let's go. Rachel is a CFP. She is a JD. She's a financial planner at Wealthcare and the author of Twenty First Century Wealth. I'm excited to have you on. Rachel, tell us a little about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yes, thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, as you said, I'm a I'm an attorney and a CFP, a certified financial planner, meaning I help people build wealth. Um, on the personal front, I'm also a new mom. I live in Washington, D.C. Uh, I got into financial planning in my 20s, and I now work in a, fa- a family firm with my father and my siblings. We're all financial planners, uh, which is really fun and uh, a unique experience, to say the least. It's, it's really rewarding. Um, and I find the work deeply, very deeply satisfying. Uh, this is an area where it can be so easy to help people in a way that makes a big difference in their lives. And for us, often it just means preventing them from making one or two big expensive mistakes. Uh, that could alter the, the course of their financial lives. Uh, but the difference we make is it's really tangible. Uh, and I also just wrote a book for millennials. It's called 21st Century Wealth. And that's essentially a roadmap for achieving financial independence. Nice. Well, I appreciate all that. So your whole family is in the financial planning business. That's 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 pretty cool. Did uh, you yes. always have your eyes set on going into the business? No, not at all. So, <laughs> so, so actually, my my dad, who is the founder of our firm, was a physician for you know, the first half of his working life, and in his fifties, he mostly uh, retired from medicine to become a CFP and start a financial planning firm, uh, which is his his true passion, I would say. And I, at that point in time, I was in, in school, high school, college, um, and I, didn't, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, which is how I ended up in law school, <laughs> like a lot of people. Sure. Um, and yeah, in law school, I, I still never really figured out what I wanted to do. And I moved up to D.C. after school and ended up getting a job in a, a wealth management firm in the D.C. area. That, that's kind of how I got into this. And, it, you know, so eventually I, of course, left to, to join the family firm. Uh, and I'm really happy it worked out that way. What a fascinating! I mean, life is just just super interesting, right? That your dad was right. a was a practicing physician, and then his passion the whole time was actually wealth management and making that jump. I mean, I can't even imagine what that was like. So, very very interesting. I can't imagine that was easy for him, or or, or perhaps no. it was. <laughs> no, no, of course not. It was. I mean, you know, for a while there, he was doing both jobs at the same time. Uh. Um, was trying to start his his financial planning business on the side. And um, yeah, I mean, he's done a great job, but it, it certainly wasn't easy. And 
he he's a great example to me. Yeah. Uh, d- definitely a role model. Awesome. So you you, you mentioned um, a lot, or, or certainly a, an important part of your work is helping people to avoid making a handful of big mistakes. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So I would say that is for, for many of our clients, probably the, the biggest way we've helped them. It's less, you know, allocating their investment portfolio. Of course, of course, that's helpful. Um, but that's really not what moves the needle in most cases. In a lot of cases, what, what moves the needle is preventing someone from making a terrible, one-time terrible investment decision or, or getting scammed um, or, or buying, uh, buying a house they can't afford, for example, um, and just preventing people from making big, expensive mistakes you only have to do that once or twice to make a huge difference in someone's future financial security. And that's oftentimes, I think, where where us just kind of being there as trusted advisors really does make the biggest difference. And of course, on the side, we're helping people make all, all sorts of little decisions um, and, and we're managing investments. Uh, but I think it's really just preventing the mistakes that, that makes the biggest difference. <laughs> I, th- I feel like people don't realize that enough that, that the decisions that we make in, in, in our twenties and our thirties, if, if we do buy too big of a car or too big of a house, it's not just that that's expensive. It's also that there's an opportunity cost as well that you're missing out on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I talk about this a little bit in my book and I, I talk about this, the mindset of, you know, is it the little things we're spending on these little daily decisions like buying lattes or is it the the big decisions we make? Which one of those uh, has the most outsized impact on our, our financial security? And I really believe it's the big things The you know, the baby boomers, they weren't getting crushed in, in 2008 because they bought a lot of lattes. It was because they were <laughs> underwater on their mortgages. Um, and it had it had it not been for that, you know, maybe they would have been certainly better off. Um, so, yeah, I think just if you can save, you know, reasonably well, save a, a moderate amount starting at a, a reasonably young age and just not make any big, big, expensive mistakes, you'll probably be OK. You'll probably achieve um, financial independence and have financial security. Totally agree. Um, in terms of, I think that sometimes that, that, that really sounds easy, but, but in actual practice, the application of it is not necessarily easy. So it sounds easy, but does hard because we want to have nice things, right? I do want to drive Mm -hmm. a nice car. I, I, I want to live in a big house. So Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, how do you talk people out of that? Uh, well, you know, it just varies. Um, in many cases, like you say, the uh, big expensive mistake is buying something that 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 you can't afford, like a car or a house. And in other um, it, in other cases, it's simply not having a good strategy for debt reduction. For example, like having student loans that you're you know making minimum payments on when that's 
not the best strategy and it's going to cost you tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it really does d- depend on the scenario. But in the scenario, for example, of, of the house, um, uh, so let's take the house for a very specific example. Most people don't realize how expensive it truly is to own a house. They'll look at the mortgage payment uh, in a vacuum and they'll say, well, my mortgage payment is, you know, $5,000 a month, let's say, and I can afford this house. In reality, the cost of owning a house averages out to roughly 8 to 10% of the home's value per year. You know, you have to think of the the mortgage payment, pro- property taxes, insurance, delayed maintenance and repairs. And then you factor in the cost of buying and selling. And I think right off the bat, just showing people, no, no, this is what it really costs to own that house. This is really what it's going to cost you. Oftentimes that's enough. Um, because it's usually far more than they uh, originally assume. Uh, with a car, for example, I mean, that's easy because cars rapidly depreciate. So you say, you know, you're spending X while the car is rapidly losing value. If I told you I was going to put the same amount of money into an investment vehicle that would lose value at that rate would you consider it to be a good investment of your dollars um certainly not yeah so so in many cases it can be you know just kind of showing the math is 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 enough which is great yeah i appreciate that and then just a lot of the time people just probably didn't even realize it like oh i thought it was just sort of just going to be this way but when i look at it that way that is that certainly does make sense Mm-hmm. <clears throat> big things versus little things and you know I, I i get kind of irritated when people talk about how me buying coffee um on a daily basis or whatever it might be is, is going to prevent me from becoming a millionaire um because <laughs> it's probably not going to be the case what are your thoughts on that on just on on spending on 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 smaller things I totally agree. Um, I like to spend money on little things. I I like to I like to enjoy life. I like to go out to eat and um, take vacations, get takeout coffee, um, and I think that I mean there are certainly people like you know the fire movement, the um, financial independence, retire early is this movement. People they they live on like 20% of their income, for example, and they forgo all of life's pleasures, as, as I see it, um, in order to stop working really early and, I guess, live out the rest of their lives in a similarly deprived manner. <laughs> and that is so unappealing to me. I, I, it's, I just don't understand <laughs> it. Um, I'd rather, you know, um, save a moderate amount over a, a longer period of time while, you know, having life's life's little pleasures here and there and i i for me personally um living in a way that restricted of a way would probably lead to frugality fatigue and i could only do that for so long before i would feel totally deprived and just go nuts basically uh so i agree with you and i yeah i don't think again it's Buying a latte every day is not going to make you poor for for 95% of people. Buying houses you can't afford, buying cars you can't afford, that will make you poor. 
spending too much money just overall. Sure. I mean, if you're buying a latte every day and you're also spending, you know, 90 or more, 90% or more of your income on various other things. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't think it's not that black and white. I think that that's well said right there. That's none of this is going to be a binary thing, even though it seems like we want a binary answer to it. It's vegetarian or it's vegan or it's, you know, or, or I'm only going to eat meat or I'm only going mm-hmm. to eat this. It's like, okay, everybody, let's pump the brakes a little bit. There's, there's going to be some middle ground in here somewhere. Right. And uh, I'm fond of saying that I did not take about a vow of poverty and I never really thought about the fire movement as, as, Maybe those folks should just go and join a monastery, right? Because then yeah, right. that would be fine too. Now I'm going to get a lot of angry emails from people who are yeah. in the fire movement, but <laughs> I haven't really thought it through. I'm just I'm just being very casual with uh, my language. So anyway, what 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 was the motivator for for writing the book, and what are you hoping that people get out of reading it? So uh, the motivator was I myself am a millennial and so are, you know, my best friends and, and my peers. And I know, I know from personal experience and from living beside my friends that, you know, at this stage in life, there is so much financial complexity. Um, You know, commonly people at this stage in life have young children or are starting families, getting married, buying first or or second homes, um, trying to pay down various kinds of debt, mortgages, student loans, maybe consumer debt, um, trying to, you know, make more money and move forward in our careers all at the same time. Um, we need help. There, there are so many decisions to make. I, I think most of them come down to priorities. Where should I be putting my money? I have all these things going on. Oh, also, we need to save for retirement for our futures on top of all of that, right? Um, or for, for kids' education. There are just so many pots on the stove. And there's only so much money to go around. And how do I prioritize? On top of all of that, um, you know, most financial advisors, at least most, I would say, ethical financial advisors that that people should want to work with, they have to make money too. Um, so they have to charge fees or, or work with clients who have assets, investment assets they can manage. Um, and so unfortunately, it's really not profitable for most uh, financial advisors to work with young people because they don't have the assets and they've, they're trying to put their money towards all of these financial goals all at once. They don't have money to pay a financial advisor thousands of dollars every year to give them advice on how to do that. Um, and I, I just I thought about that a lot as a millennial and a financial planner. And that's kind of what motivated me to write the book was just, I wanted to write a book, kind of a basic high level guide for people who are in that situation and probably aren't at a place in their lives yet where they can pay uh, an advisor. They'll probably get there, you know, in 10 years or 15, 20 years, but they're not there now and they need advice. Uh, And that's why I wrote the book. I love it. Yeah, it it 
it, it is true. There are just a lot of different reasons that you just laid out that people do not engage with a financial advisor. So having the resources to be able to make heads and tails over all the decisions that are in front of us and all the, the plates that are supposed to be spinning or I need to start spinning this one or stop spinning that one. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that that's awesome. Well, Rachel, the people are ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? I would say... Uh, the difference making tip is um, if you want to build wealth, the, the biggest thing you can do is just to start early. You don't have to start big, you, but it just start now. Start as soon as you can. The sooner you start, the easier it will be. And that's certainly in my mind the difference maker. Well, I think that, that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Uh, Sure. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Rachel Podnos O'Leary. And I am also on Twitter uh, at Rachel Podnos. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Rachel your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. You can find Rachel on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. And where can people pick up a copy of the book, Rachel? Amazon. Pick up a copy of 21st Century Wealth on Amazon.com. Thanks again, Rachel. Thank you so much, George. This was fun. For sure. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.